we're talking about the highest level of uh, buddhist teachings now once you start going deep into the deity aspect the goddess aspect you have to start thinking that everything is a manifestation of tara the falling leaf the rains everything is tara all whatever people are saying are tara mantra once you live in this mode whether it is peaceful wrathful however it manifests then you truly connect to tara and you're chanting a special mantra and you are doing this very particular uh you know mental practice and at the completion of the practice there's a small hole at the top of your head physical hole and you can <sighs> take like a straw like a kusha grass and you can stick it in so guru will check What? your head yeah <laughs> guru will check your head to see and you will have some pus a little bit of pus little bit of blood is nothing painful you'll feel little headache but kuch nahi hota like a <laughs> little bit of pus will come out if you feel like thoda sa itchy and then you go to the guru you'll say like yeah i think maybe i have the signs and guru will see and he'll put he'll bless a kusha grass which is very pure and he'll put this stick it in your head and have to walk around with this <laughs> you know, <laughs> with other practitioners it looks a little bit weird you know it looks like you're growing weed out of your head or something <laughs> We've already created an epic episode on the basics of Buddhism with Palga Rinpoche. This is a sort of sequel episode. He was in Mumbai and he gave us this gem of an episode. We've discussed deities like Tara and Avalokiteshwar in this one. We've spoken about a lot of parallels between Indic religions and Tibetan Buddhism. You're going to enjoy this particular episode. Before I let you slip into the episode, I just want to inform you that on the last episode, Palga Rinpoche chanted for us. he's chanted for us on this one as well if you gave the last episode a listen you'd know the kind of magic that was inscribed in his chanting process i'm extremely delighted to announce that palgar and poche has tied up with our meditation app level supermind and he's come out with his own buddhist chanting series on level supermind so if you wish to really take a deep dive into buddhist style meditations please download level supermind and begin your own spiritual journey in a deeper more magical way the links for the app are given down below but for now this is my spiritual mentor palgar in poche on the ranveer show Palgar and Poche, I didn't decide that we should do this podcast. You didn't decide it. This just happened. Welcome back to the Ranveer Show. Thank you so much. Thank how, you for having me back. How are you, Rin Poche? I'm good. Uh, relaxed, not tired. Been very active recently, and uh, especially after our first podcast, the response was overwhelming. So also due to that, I had a lot of activities and. Yeah, been really busy, but very happy, very relaxed. Okay. Um, actually, I was sitting right there where you're sitting right now on the floor. Uh, this is also my meditation room, and we've redone the studio. You know, and I feel that when you renovate any place, it takes some time for the vibe to really set. Yeah. So we renovated it. You were our first podcaster, and then we've had a bunch of episodes here with some spiritual people as well. Since then, I've been meditating here as well. Today when I was meditating, I wasn't consciously thinking about you. Okay, but for some reason, 
you entered my meditation very intensely at its peak and i just got an intuition to call you tonight because we had a free slot for the show i very rarely do a second podcast in a day i don't know why i felt the urge to talk to you today i know that some very special information ji is possibly going to come out today what i will also tell the viewers is you have been recording some meditations in this studio for my meditation app level yes um so you're familiar with this space yes uh in one of your breaks from those sessions you were sitting outside and having lunch and i asked you a lot about tarama yes so i think that's a great place to begin because that's where my meditation began today as well i did the mantra that you taught me yes would you like to begin the podcast with that mantra yes i would like to uh, <clears throat> chant the mantra invoke the blessings of matara 21 different aspects of tara so a very uh, profound blessing you can see of tara some are peaceful some are wrathful uh different colors different purposes but a very universal uh how can you call it very universal buddha god deity whatever you want to call it and um the mantra of tara which is 10 syllables which i uh, had the good fortune of sharing with you very meaningful i will explain the meaning briefly after we do the chant okay. yeah thank you <clears throat> तारे तो तारे तोरे सोहा ओम 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 तारे तो तारे तोरे सोहाम तारे तो तारे तोरे सोहा ओम तारे तो तारे तोरे सोहा ओम तारे तो तारे तोरे सोहा thank you <laughs> the meaning of the mantra if i may om body speech and mind a oma with my body speech and mind i pray i supplicate i do pranam to a tara to a goddess described as om tare tare means the swift one the fast one the fearless one if you notice tara's main aspect the 21 taras the main one of 
which one is represented by green tara her right leg is slightly extended representing tare which means swift she wants to jump out of her seat to bless us she is also fearless she is not scared to jump out of her throne to be of to come to our aid to tare um to dispel our fears signified by her left hand which you can also see here with right white tara uh left hand means the mudra of protection om tare tu tare ture swaha ture is represented by the right hand on her knee dhan mudra the mudra of uh fulfilling our wishes spontaneously rapidly swaha i bow down i pray with my body speech and mind to such a goddess okay <laughs> the star are usually barge into people's lives the way she barged into my life suddenly and this taken over as my mother in some ways yeah she does like she selects where she wishes to go yeah um there are various historical uh sources of tara stories about tara uh one very popular story is that when bhagwan avalokiteshwar with his infinite compassion tried his best to empty samsara out of living beings who were suffering because of ignorance anger hatred and so on and he thought like he managed to empty samsara but because as we know as per buddhist teachings and also hindu philosophy equally samsara has no beginning and no end that is why it is represented as a circle as a wheel you mean the universe when you say samsara yeah everything that is in existence not just the world that we live in but as per buddhist teachings at least uh we are talking about the other dimensions uh dimensions of extreme suffering we call them hell dimensions of extreme hunger and thirst we call them hungry ghost prayth dimensions of uh, the animal kingdom yeah and also asur constantly in fight with the gods and god realm and also human so the being according to buddhist uh, cosmology and philosophy there are six main realms so uh, avalokiteshwar tried his best to empty all the beings because it's so much compassion empty samsara and when he thought that he had almost emptied it it should be empty now and look back samsara it was already samsara had already again been filled with beings because it is endless and he had immense uh, he was very sad and he cried and i think from his two tear drops from his eyes uh it touched the earth a lotus bloomed 21 petals on each petal was one different tara and tara said don't worry i will assist you so we may have supplicated to tara or have a connection to tara in this life or maybe in one of our past lives so you just can't tell like you the word you use when tara will barge into our lives and show us the path yeah invoke some changes in us this was given to my father by someone and he had to move to dubai so he had left it in a cupboard of his and i was cleaning out his cupboard one day i found it and i just wanted to keep it and i've kept it over the years now 
only once only since i've moved to this house have i really been worshiping this particular idol and i've had a tantra expert on the show rajashree nandi he taught me so much more about it my connection with it has increased so much and i feel with deities um there are phases in your life where you need the deity way more hmm. and i did need it back then had some other deities enter my spiritual journey and now she's back through you when you taught me about om tare tu tare tare so yeah um the one thing i can describe about her energy is that she's very swift like that pace both in terms of blessings and to come to protect you and i have needed protection as well in the last 6 months is very fast um how do you connect more deeply other than just by your heart um <clears throat> since i was enthroned and at the age of 8 like we talked about last time brought to the monastery in himachal one thing i've done consistently always every day is at early in the morning 5 o'clock 6 o'clock depends winter summer we would always start the day uh with tara practice it will take maybe like 45 minutes we call it the four mandala offering to matara and we will make uh offerings of mandala uh we would do the mandala mudra which is basically performed like this the center is mount meru we are offering mount meru to tara and these four points are the four continents surrounding mount meru and all the subcontinents and all the planets the palms of your hands represent the great oceans so basically with this mudra you're offering the entire universe everything in it everything in existence so i've been doing this since i was 8 and after some time when i was when i started to receive teachings from my gurus one guru told me that your personal deity is tara Mm. we do have our own personal deities we worship all deities all gods and goddesses bodhisattvas and buddhas but then there is a personal connection a spiritual connection to one particular deity and my guru told me that it was uh, green tara and after some time i really started to you know um my activities started to explode green tara represents activity swift like you said and um my activity started to explode what, explode what does that mean like my work my spiritual work to go out and meet people i was like we talked about last last time i you know i was so self centered initially and tried to look for happiness in material things and so on but then afterwards when i came back to my spirituality got introduced to tara and was told that tara was my personal deity uh my spiritual work meeting with people traveling connecting to people also literally just exploded after the realization you mean situations and circumstances were thrown in your life because of which you just had to comply yeah. and therefore your spiritual word went out to even more people yes and you believe that it was because of green tara's blessing definitely definitely any tara okay. but uh, green tara is uh, more associated with uh, activity yeah like your work and um yeah so it just exploded and to answer your question um we 
do a lot of practices we make a lot of offerings to tara we supplicate to tara we praise her qualities yeah and also we chant her mantra om tare tu tare ture swaha and uh, in the himalayas in ladakh and tibet also we have what we call uh, praise to the 21 taras is a beautiful beautiful prayer and we chant it all the time and it's so beautiful and in a big hall full of you know hundreds of people thousands of people and to chant it and to supplicate to tara creating a mandala of tara to the side a big thanga a big painting of tara statue of tara having invoked her you know invoked her and brought her here and having made offerings and we chant chansala dare nyuma pamotu tara injis pasel mature dong jimpe dolma so ayige kyolan chansala dolma nyuma pamor chanes ka chelo danda jikte sum gonchis ke shalgi gesare jewalene jo chansala dongel dawa gondo kamar gane sik beshal skarmas tontra zosbanam ke rabdo cheve uram barma son I'm getting goosebumps just chanting <laughs> it. <laughs> Why are we talking about this? Why is it important for the general masses to know about these things? What does Tara want through this? To benefit us, to protect us, uh to grant our wishes for this life, for the next life, our spiritual wishes. I think the need of the hour people are very desperate for protection, spiritual protection. like right now if you ask me are we protect, protected from hunger yes our country is prospering i think hardly anybody goes hungry these days thirsty nobody is killing each other uh, crimes have really come down people are like more aware and prosperity is happening everywhere but what about spirituality are we spiritually also protected and safe so tara pro- provides not only uh physical protection emotional protection but most importantly spiritual protection okay It keeps you from doing the wrong things yeah and guides you along the wrong right path and makes you meet the right people right circumstances and it just happens spontaneously which is so crucial right that's something you completely ignore in your own spiritual path people play a huge role and there is a point in your timeline where they'll enter your life yeah definitely like the biggest changes might have, have happened because of the people i've met who i'm still in touch with, you being one of them yes but you were meant to meet me at that point and we're meant to have this conversation today which is why i don't know i still want to deep dive a little bit more into this 21 tara thing ji uh i really hope the audience is gaining from this conversation in ways that are not even spoken in the form of spoken word yes but what would you want to share about 21 taras uh so uh like i said i don't know if i can describe all the 21 taras uh and but the tara with tara the interesting thing is that she comes in peaceful form various peaceful forms and also various wrathful forms because um, our karmas are different some are tamed by peaceful means but some need uh, to be shown the wrathful manifestations So Tara comes in different forms and different shapes, different colors, different intentions, and uh, as per your spirituality, as per your karma, where you are in your life, 
she will manifest differently and guide you differently like let's say <clears throat> when we are young and when we are naughty our parents might pull our ears scold us a little bit not because they hate us not because they have an intention to harm us we have to see that way also from why tara manifests in different ways and we don't understand now we know that it was for our own good to instill discipline and a sense of respect and so on tara does the same thing and only once you start to gain a degree of confidence in tara and you have faith in tara that whatever she, however she manifests to us in the form of a ladakhi guru yeah a modern guru mm-hmm. <laughs> a male or female you just we are talking about the highest level of uh, buddhist teachings now once you start going deep into the deity aspect the goddess aspect you have to start thinking that everything is a manifestation of tara the falling leaf the rains everything is tara all whatever people are saying are tara mantra once you live in this mode whether it is peaceful wrathful however it manifests then you truly connect to tara we call it tapenangwa which is like pure view pure view everything is a manifestation of tara but that takes some spiritual depth to be able to constantly stay in that mode mm and not take things personally you know duality you me this that good bad you just have to be and let tara manifest in your life in different forms <laughs> submitting to the <clears throat> flow of samsar yeah yeah submit submitting to the manifestations of tara in various forms yeah okay yeah um i'm actually reading this book on the gayatri mantra by om swami ji very heavy book is like described in detail how to maximize the nectar you can gain from mantra using mudras using yes. techniques etc but it begins by saying something similar to what you're saying in terms of when you reach a certain level of advancement after years of practice what begins to happen is first when you meet people you don't see the person you see the holy mother in the person and then you see light then you see the astral body and then you see the physical body mm-hmm. and this becomes a phenomena wherever you go with whoever you meet uh my reading of tara when i'm also trying to understand what the hinduism aspect is what the zoroastrian aspect is i would even go as far as saying what the abrahamic aspect is ji is that there is god's energy on this earth like the one parabrahm uh energy on this earth which manifests itself as shakti or mother earth or mother nature and different cultures call this feminine energy different things yes generally in hinduism you have all the different matas but they are matas at the end of the day mothers i have understood that maybe the buddhist school of thought calls matas taras hmm. am i right in saying yeah yeah we okay. call tara definitely the mother of all buddhas uh we call her the mother of enlightenment hmm. so yeah you very right Okay I think uh, you know well your knowledge about various spirituality and religion seems to be much more than mine of course you have met so many more eminent people than I ever had the chance and you have good knowledge about different spiritualities which is actually very good when you walk the spiritual path because you are aware of the different interpretations and not only stuck with one 
I, however, have only been, you know, mostly introduced to Buddhism, so I can speak from a Buddhist perspective. So, um, phenomena is what it is. Yeah, uh, sun is the sun, moon is the moon, water is the water, um, energy is the energy, and so on. I think the interpretation and the way we use names and how we, you know. Uh, perceive it and how we explain it to people i think that differs a little bit but the actual uh you know object is the same yeah how we talk about it how we explain it what words you use as per your own faith your belief i think that changes so yeah you can say tara is the mother of all mm. tara is the mother of enlightenment tara is the mother of all goodness universal love whatever you want to call it god she is the mother essence of everything do you think that there's a father essence uh yeah i guess so uh, <laughs> i don't know who is <laughs> yeah it's difficult to pinpoint one but in the scriptures it's clearly stated that tara is the mother of all buddhas and she is the mother of all enlightened beings yeah i have to now ask you a bit of a spicy internet question ji I won't say it's spicy. It's probably also my curiosity if you're willing this question, but this is the question that a lot of Indians crave answers for. I want to talk about Mount Kailash. Okay. What is its significance in Tibetan Buddhism? Ji. For Tibetans, because it is in Tibet. Yes. Every single Hindu person wants to visit Kailash at some point, especially because of internet culture nowadays. Ji. people have openly spoken about how it is a life changing experience i want to know one have you visited no yourself i haven't had the fortune yet two is it something you study about we know about it yes so what is it from the tibetan perspective uh from a himalayan buddhist perspective and from a tibetan perspective uh Mount Kailash has, as far as I know, two main uh, significance. One is that the spiritual significance is that it is the abode of Chakra Samvara and Vajra Yogini. They are two very important deities, um, gods uh, that we practice in my particular lineage. the drupa lineage and also a few other lineages you see this meditation belt i'm wearing mm. it the blue symbolizes chakra samvara he has many different forms the red symbolizes vajrayogini sounds a lot like shiva and parvati that's yeah, what a male and people. female so like mm. we said it is what it is how we interpret it according to different faiths and beliefs so the spiritual significance is that it is the abode of chakra samvara kholo dimshok and vajrayogini dorji pagmo original jurma a uh, historical significance is that the great yogi of tibet melarepa he had somewhat of a wrestling match <laughs> on mount kailash with an adversary and you know like when you watch uh, when you see mount kailash you see like this kind of line you know yeah uh, we say that uh, they were fighting over a pot and the pot the vessel rolled down and created this <laughs> So yeah, two different uh, stories that we talk about Mount okay. Kailash. You said it's home to those deities, but technically deities are a form or a format of God, right? It's just God manifesting itself as 
something recognizable for simpler beings called human beings mm. but i have understood when it comes to deities by understanding the culture of deities in india itself mm-hmm. that deities are just stronger in some geographical locations true true what i've also understood is that there's a higher realm called the astral world which is also around us okay deities exist much more strongly there but maybe the portals into our physical realm are at those geographic locations yeah uh you can say that i think uh, i visited lots of uh, holy sites of course i never had the chance to go to tibet and visit the holy sites there but in our own country we have many different um, holy places or different deities and i visited for example in himachal there is a place uh, there is a mountain and that is also one of the abodes like we own different homes right yeah the privileged own various homes one house in delhi one in mumbai and so on so it's a bit like that i think this could be your main home mm. but you have another house in delhi and <laughs> bangalore mm. so i think uh, a deity has a main seat but then because of certain practitioners and they've attracted the energy you know due to certain practices um they ha- they create other abodes so himachal yeah there are there is one very special place a mountain and we our guruji said that it is the abode also of chakra sambhavan and vajrayogini outside tibet okay yeah um is there supposed to be a significance of you visiting this place um for the deity obviously not but for myself yes so that i can connect uh, deeper to the deity the purpose of deities in buddhism at least in himalayan buddhism vajrayana buddhism is that we try to transform ourselves the main goal of vajrayana is to transform ourselves rapidly instead of wasting too much time because life is very short and we don't know in our next life whether we will be reborn as humans or not even if you are born as human beings we don't know whether we will encounter the dharma or a guru get the chance to practice the dharma and so on so we recognize our good fortune in this life and uh, we try to make the most out of it so we don't waste our time a deity is how can i say we try to we practice a deity uh, when you go into retreat a guru will uh, tell you as per your lineage that you go and practice this deity 6 months and to connect to the deity the main connection point portal is the mantra physically you sit uh, in a meditative posture verbally you call them the three doors body speech and mind physically you sit in the meditative posture verbally you chant the mantra and mentally you visualize the deity so using the three doors available to you three gateways you connect you enter the portal or you let that deity enter your portal you visualize it in your heart in our mind yes which is in your heart accordingly uh it's difficult to explain because mind is very mysterious and i wouldn't really necessarily say that the mind resides only in the heart i think the body's the heart is kind of like you know where it kind of revolves around mm. but the mind as it expands it can expand beyond this room beyond the city and it can enter it can expand into the minds of other people so you will not only hear your thoughts you will hear the thoughts of other people around you so yeah consciousness yeah 
your consciousness can expand in yes. a state of higher meditation yes and then eventually when you reach a certain point you know everything hmm you see everything super random question which i've asked a few people and i feel like asking you this what do you think is the significance of space because it's also part of samsar significance of space uh, that's a very curve ball wala question <laughs> i never actually thought about it like that uh space is it is space something you think about or read about in your studies not really we when we debate you know in buddhist philosophy we talk about space and um uh we do mention space but uh, we also say that like when we talk about space in buddhism uh certain topics come up we say that the buddha's mind is as expansive as space his enlightenment his compassion because you cannot really measure space you can send a rocket you know to the infinite and it will just never stop maybe so it's space. it's god's way of showing you how small you are in the grand exactly so how god, insignific- god's way of keeping you humble yeah as i would say like in buddhism we don't really um, believe in a god who you know shows you or does things for you or harms you or rewards you but um, yeah i think you know it is a it is a interesting perspective when you look at space and you you realize how small you are is avalokiteshwar parabrahm like all encompassing god or is it a deity uh you mean as per buddhist yeah. beliefs in buddhism we uh don't really believe in uh, atman or a self we don't really talk about uh, we don't really believe in a creator or a destroyer uh there are different uh, levels of teachings in buddhism historically we say that when the buddha taught he didn't actually teach different teachings to different people he spoke in one word one voice one voice but beings according to their karma and their capacity to understand they heard things differently for example let's say you have a very expert engineer okay a bridge or a dam is to be built you have lots of experts in front of you it's a big group in front of you and you also have like less skilled workers masons bricklayers and so on coolies so the engineer will say okay you know we're going to start building a dam you know he'll be like this he'll be like that there'll be like so many angles so many confusing things a mixture of this cement that cement you know the the experts will understand what he's talking about but then the simple minded people they will not understand what he's talking about but whenever the lecturer mentions something like cement strong sariya bricks uh 10 feet wide then they will be like okay i think we are building something like a dam or a bridge you understand so they pick things up from that's exactly what happened when the buddha taught he there were many different beings who received his teachings humans non humans also and according to their own karma the capacity to understand some got the deepest teachings the most technical teachings and some got the simpler ones not because buddha lacked compassion to the simple minded people but that's what they could grasp So when you talk about um, when you go deeper into the Buddhist teachings it slightly changes for example in the simpler teachings we say that 
this is hell this is heaven you know you do good things you get punished and so on as you go deeper into the teachings uh, it is mentioned that well where is hell where is heaven it is right here in a moment's experience in a day's experience it is an illusion it is a creation of a confused mind samsara is because your mind is confused nirvana is because your mind is more relaxed more free but then you go to the higher teachings highest teachings vajrayana we say everything is god everything is tara everything is avalokiteshwar everything is buddha there are different words we use and whatever you hear is mantra teachings we call it like the pure view like i said so it's very difficult to give a definite answer from buddhism because there are so many different layers okay yeah no cool <laughs> i'm trying my best i'm so sorry no no that's fine sir <laughs> what is avalokiteshwar wow what isn't avalokiteshwar actually <laughs> avalokiteshwar ne <laughs> <laughs> avalokiteshwar in the most simplest uh, way to explain is the bodhisattva is the um, manifestation of the compassionate nature of our true self mm. okay i'm trying to choose the right words in the right way mm. is a manifestation of the compassion aspect of our true natures of our tathagata garbh of our enlightening to true natures um because we cannot access okay as per buddhist beliefs buddhist teachings we say that we already have enlightenment within us it is right here but it is wrapped by this rag of ignorance attachment bad karma and so on and in buddhism the process is more about unraveling yeah so this enlightening as uh, self that we have this tathagata garb has many different aspects one of them is compassion so avalokiteshwar is the manifestation of the compassion of your true nature manjushri is the wisdom manifestation of your true nature vajrapani is the power so go so on and on but avalokiteshwar is the most uh, well known bodhisattva well known manifestation and avalokiteshwar manifests in many different forms um in the sambhogakaya form which is the mystical aspect of avalokiteshwar he is adorned with tiara with beautiful you know like a prince he has like sometimes four arms sometimes he has thousand arms he has 108 uh main aspects different manifestations in the human form avalokiteshwar uh manifests in the form of his holiness the 14th dalai lama my own guru uh, the 12th galong rupa and all the great gurus you know not only buddhist but also non buddhist yeah anyone or anything that does good for the society using compassion as a base is a manifestation of avalokiteshwar okay i have to move the podcast into a bit of a mystical realm now Gee. you know it's going to go there i know <laughs> you saw our last episode uh, yes uh you spoke about that ritual tom uh tumo tumo yes sorry uh you spoke about tumo yes are there other rituals like that which are a little extreme for listeners but it's actually pretty normalized for you uh yeah there are others but um Hmm. are they as um attractive or you know enticing as this practice that we talked about tumo inner heat 
Um, yeah, like for example, there's this practice that we do. Uh, we call it POA, the transference of your consciousness. Transference of your mind, of your consciousness. It is basically a practice, um, <clears throat> the details of which I cannot talk about on such a wide platform. It is a very uh, specific practice. Um, and the basic idea is that you are ejecting your consciousness. You're, you're practicing the ejection of your consciousness through your body, from through the crown of your head into, into the paradise of a Buddha to merge with the Buddha. yeah, And we do this because we are preparing ourselves for death. When we die, we do not want our spirits, our consciousness, our minds to keep wandering in the intermediate state. Bardo. As ghosts. This, yeah, as ghosts, as, you know, as just wanderers. Very sad, without any aim, fearful. And what happens is that when you keep wandering, your past karma might catch up and you might end up in hell or some other dimensions where it will be very difficult to come out of. So think of us like getting stuck in a portal but without a door for an infinite amount of time. That's very sad. So before we get stuck into such a portal or it sucks us, we try to eject our consciousness while we are in the process of dying, while our consciousness is seeping deeper and deeper. You know, while you, you realize that you're losing your consciousness and you eject your consciousness consciousness into a Buddha realm. So that's the mystical aspect of it, into the heart of a Buddha. It's training for death. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that there is a physical manifestation. So when you practice this, usually for like a week or at least until you see the physical sign, which is you're just visualizing and you're chanting a special mantra and you are doing this very particular uh, you know, mental practice. And at the completion of the practice, there's a small hole at the top of your head, physical hole. And you can <sighs> take like a straw, like a kusha grass, and you can stick it in. So Guru will check what? your head. Yeah. <laughs> Guru will check your head to see. And you will have some pus, a little bit of pus, a little bit of blood. It's nothing painful. You'll feel a little headache. But kush nahi hota hai. Like a <laughs> little bit of pus will come out. You'll feel like thoda se itchy. And then you go to the guru, you'll say like, yeah, I think maybe I have the science. And guru will see and he'll put, he'll bless a kusha grass, which is very pure. And he'll put this, stick it in your head and you have to walk around with this, you know, <laughs> with other practitioners. It looks a little bit weird, you know. It looks like you're growing weed out of your head or something. <laughs> what, what does this practice do to you in the medium term? Medium term? Not short term, not long term. Say you do this every day for six months hmm. what starts changing we don't have to do it for six months thankfully we do it for like a week maybe okay. some people can see the manifestation even within a day some people in three days it depends um you do feel headache you know you feel headache uh, and you might feel a little bit dizzy otherwise you don't feel that uh, any you know bad side effects of it but then what happens in a longer term at least until you die, if I may say so, um, you lose the fear of death because you know you have the ticket already booked. Yeah, you've seen the sign. So when you die, either you do it yourself, you eject your own consciousness or a guru will come and he will eject your consciousness. So you can, you not only can eject your own consciousness, but you have the power to eject the consciousness of someone else 
who's about to die, who's in the process of dying. This is explained beautifully in the Tibetan book of the dead. Yeah. Okay. What else is there in that book? Uh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. Uh, it's, uh, wow. I don't know where to begin actually. There's a, a Hindu scripture called Garud Puran. Which okay. is similar. Ji. It's the book of dead. Ji. Where they describe what you have to go through um, in order to clean your karmas before the next birth. Okay. Is it something similar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are lots of guides about um, the process of dying, what happens to your body, how the inner elements of your body, uh, heat, uh, you know, the solidity, the liquid, and the, our breath, uh, water, fire, uh, earth, and wind, you know, how they uh, merge with the external elements and so on, how you start feeling heavy and drowsy. So it's a manual on dying. So if you, if you want to know more about uh, how dying feels or the process of dying, at least a normal death, I think there'll be a good book. There'll be a good book to crack open. Does it say that the point of death is extremely physically painful and emotionally painful? It can be. It can be, especially when you're attached to your belongings, to your loved ones. And if you feel like there's so much more to do, if you haven't let go mentally, spiritually, then it can be very painful. There's a mantra in Hinduism called Mahamrityunjaya Mantra. Ji. Which is, uh, which basically loosely translates to, uh, may I become like Shiva and at the point of death, may my soul uh, leave my body painlessly. And may I conquer death in that painlessness. Okay. Uh, and it means a little more as well. Like they've described how Shiva's fragrant. That's a beautiful prayer, actually. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a beautiful prayer. Uh, you spoke about the Buddhist deity version of Shiva. What was Ji. the name? Uh, Buddhist deity version of Shiva? The, uh, the Chakra Samvara. The one who resides. Yeah. yeah. Chakra Samvara. What is his significance? Chakra Samvara. Wow. Is it related to death? Or destruction? No, or no, 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 no. Nothing like that. Okay. Chakra Samvara is actually, uh, it's Buddha actually, enlightenment. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It's basically just enlightenment. It is, again, we are talking about something that cannot be described in terms of words. I can just tell you that when you're in retreat, Chakra Samvara retreat for six months or one year, however long your guru tells you to uh you know, recite Chakra Samvara's mantra. So usually what happens in order to understand Chakra Samvara or to connect to him or to get his blessings or transform yourself, yeah? Uh, how, however you want to say it, um, your guru will tell you to go into retreat for a certain amount of time and to recite a certain number of his mantra. So for example, he might say something like, just say, Om Ta Re Tu Ta Re Tu Re Soha, 10 syllables. So you will say like, uh, 10 syllables, um, uh, you know, chant each one, one lakh times. So like equivalent, so multiply 10 by one lakh times, something like that. So it depends. It depends on the guru. It depends on the tantra on which the retreat is based on. It's all written there that you must chant this mantra, each syllable equivalent, the complete mantra, and each syllable equivalent to like one lakh times. Aisa kuch hota hai. So yeah, like sometimes millions of times, sometimes billions of times, sometimes it can take up to six months, sometimes up to two, three years. But usually we complete it within three years and three months. You know, these numbers seem 
discouraging for many viewers <laughs> million billion lakh Jee. even in the gayatri mantra book he's spoken about doing it lakhs of times ji i think what's also important to be mentioned here in this podcast is what i like to call time dilation ji which basically means when you're meditating with enough calmness what ends up happening is after a point you're not chanting the mantra the mantra is chanting you okay and in that moment the nature of time changes and the nature of how many times you've chanted it also changes you go into a bit of a trance ji have you felt time change when you've been meditating yeah like when you really go deep into meditation and when you're inside a small room for 3 years and 3 months no outside contact no mobile phones no television nothing at all just you and maybe your guru with you in in the next room uh for the first few months of course everything is like very uh you know difficult time seem to pass very slowly and you just kind of like counting down the days <laughs> when you will get out after like 3 4 months when the dust settles you kind of go into this uh zone and it becomes very seamless it becomes like very cruise mode you don't have to shift gears you don't have to press the accelerator it's just soaring and you really don't care too much about the time factor anymore and you actually wish that you could spend more time mm. because as you chant more and more you start to manifest a deity's powers in yourself you start to feel it yourself the idea of chanting mantras and to visualize a deity in a very set condition for a set amount of time is that you transform yourself into a deity and you start to exhibit some of the deity's characteristics a little bit fearful a little bit compassionate sometimes a little bit angry you know but usually enlightening more wisdom yeah um you do have to take care of yourself that you don't like we talked about earlier spiritual suffering and so on you don't get spiritual arrogance that that can be a big pitfall so we see usually that when you do these kind of deity practices uh like mantric tantric practices it is like a snake in a bamboo it can either go up enlightenment or down to hell or to you know so you have to be really careful you cannot go left or right so before you enter this bamboo like be sure that you want to enter the bamboo and you really can follow your guru's words to the letter we call it samaya the guru's instructions and don't break it if the guru says to you drink water from your shoes you have to drink water from your shoes you need to have this absolute trust in your guru and you have to see that the guru himself is a manifestation of a buddha so like i said buddhism can go very deep and the practices can change radically as you move you know between regions between cultures and so on but at least in the himalayas we have this in vajrayana buddhism it is uh, we practice the mystical aspect and there we see the Bu- uh, guru as a buddha as the absolute what did you feel at the end of those 3 years and 3 months wow um honestly speaking you know speechless i really cannot explain it i really didn't want to come out of it um very very peaceful very calm uh like if you see a beautiful lake a serene lake a clear sky right no wind at all it just looks so simmering it it felt like that no turbulence at all it felt like this vast lake that's the best description i can give it to you and you just felt like you're floating and nothing seemed to bother you 
everything seemed to lose its significance yeah praise okay somebody criticizes you okay yeah you see the emptiness in everything the illusion in everything everything seems to be slightly transparent and things really don't affect you as much they lose their weight so it stops stops affecting you you feel like you're walking through rainbows yeah when you meet people <laughs> and so on it's yeah it's amazing i just went back to my to darjeeling in 2008 9 when i you know came out of my retreat so <laughs> how do you look at the world of romance between a man and a woman or man man woman Gee. woman how do you look at this um wow many different ways actually i think um sadly these days uh relationships have become very disposable you know and people are not really treating each other humanely we are people we are supposed to be a uh, humans but that sense of respect to another human because see when you get engaged with someone romantic relationship marriage going out boyfriend girlfriend whatever you want to call it you're basically attaching a hook into someone i love you and i also love you yeah and it's caught deep within your flesh it goes to your heart and then if you're not careful if you keep tugging it too much if you misbehave and so on it creates a lot of pain but what happens these days as soon as you find someone more attractive you attach another hook to that person and you literally rip it off without even thinking about the consequences of your actions what might happen to that person at a physical level at an emotional level which is worse so that's what i see happening these days but an ideal relationship in my opinion should be based first and foremost on the foundation of friendship you should be good friends first you should look beyond the physical appearance and the fashion and you should look at the character of the person not just the personality character hardly ever changes personality can change depending on age and so on but the character remains the same character is what de- defines a person so i always tell people to look at the character of the person does it match yours is he or she as outgoing as you are or is she he or she if you're spiritual and if your partner is constantly going out and after material you will have a lot of clashes she or he will not enjoy your presence and vice versa so if you are a very spiritually inclined person look for someone with spiritual character yeah and that can become a very good but start look at the foundation of friendship try to be good friends first yeah loving is easy but liking someone i think is a little bit difficult for so, that long <laughs> yeah for that long for life yeah so <laughs> if you do happen to have some turbulence in your relationship you can fall back on friendship because the honeymoon period only lasts for so long mm. yeah once yeah. it loses appeal then you're kind of like you know the things that you never noticed before might start noticing and you will use it as an excuse you never used to come so late used to call me call me honey all the time mm-hmm. used to open the door for me used to pay my you know this and that and whatever so that you know changes at least you can fall back on friendship i guess <laughs> cool why does god send you the wrong people what what if why does god send you the wrong people the ones that you're not meant to be with see and then makes you love them a lot yeah 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 um well again from a buddhist perspective 
we don't believe that God necessarily sends someone to you to make you suffer. Um, we don't usually bring uh, God or the idea of God or enlightenment into all these things. I notice that these days when something good happens, when you you know when something good happens in your life, when you achieve something, you say like, "Oh, this is because of my hard work, of my education, of my com competence." You know, it's all me. You take selfies and pictures and so on. And if something bad happens, you're like, "God, why are you doing this to me?" You understand? So I think it is a wrong thing to bring God into all these small things. These are very insignificant things. After all, we are not even specks in the in the you know grand scheme of things. We are even smaller than a drop of water in the grand scheme of things. We are so insignificant. Um, I would say that it is because of your own past karma. You had sown a seed um maybe a good seed maybe a beautiful flower or maybe a cactus you don't know maybe a healthy egg or maybe a rotten egg <laughs> you don't know mm. so and also i as per karma and also as per my belief and my experience you sometimes only have the karma to be with someone for a certain duration once that is exhausted you can try your best you can do whatever you want you just don't have that feeling anymore what's the purpose of that duration oh i think there's no ultimate purpose it is a consequence of one of your past actions in your life in you know one of your past lives yeah so maybe we misbehaved with that person and dumped that person <laughs> after a certain amount of time and now the cycle is you know come full circle and you're seeing the effects of your actions and instead of uh, breaking the cycle and accepting it and maybe just remaining friends or ending on good terms our ego prevents us from doing that or level of, of attachment prevents us from doing that we think it's love but it's not it's a sense of extreme possession and you just can't let go yeah and you cause suffering to yourself and to the other person in you creating a new cycle again how do you eliminate that sense of attachment again is it spiritual can be uh i think it should be based on uh realization to realize that um i have this theory when it comes to love and relationships you should love without getting attached i mean <laughs> as soon as the sense of attachment comes it can very rapidly turn into possession and obsessive behavior constant calling <laughs> and reminding and arguing and so on i think if you keep your love very uh, free very open based on loyalty trust it can be very uh you know it can be it can you can you can feel very good in your relationship but as soon as you get attached to that person where are you yeah it is ten past who are you with i think i heard someone you're like so attached to that person not physically attached because she is somewhere else but mentally and emotionally attached you just can't think of anything else but that person and if you send a message whatsapp one tick she hasn't seen my message two ticks blue tick she hasn't responded mm -hmm. back you understand you get even get obsessed with the ticks and the tings and the blues you know i don't know that becomes very obsessive and i think it's you know starts to start spiraling down when you mm. love someone i think you should trust that person it should be based on giving 
and not focusing solely on receiving and receiving and receiving and receiving should be open and free why does that happen to human minds but where does that sense of attachment come from um habits from the past we in buddhism we call it uh, habitual tendencies so you're so uh, you have this habit you've built up this habit of getting attached to small small things not letting go of meaningless things like your torn shirt or your torn Ooh. socks you understand Ooh. so it keeps building up on that and it carries into your relationship and beyond so it's good to start practicing your non attachment with things that don't mean that much to you things that you can dispose of uh and slowly start bringing into more meaningful things like your relationships and humans that you interact with hmm i had a bad breakup about like a few months ago ji uh and then i met you on this show and we spoke about om mani padme hum yeah and in the following week after our recording i sat and did a few chanting sessions ji. and maybe after 20 minutes of chanting i found forgiveness like forgiveness entered my head for that person yeah uh for i feel like that person broke up because of the influence of their friends ji you know who had not met me but i just made assumptions because i'm a youtuber so i had a lot of anger towards those friends okay uh i forgave them as well in that uh chanting session ji uh and i felt more detached in a nice way you told me that om mani padme hum is a transformative mantra, mantra yes. and it will give you the transformation that you need yes okay it is the mantra of avalokiteshwar uh it has so many different meanings a uh, union of compassion and wisdom om mani padme hum six syllables um it releases you from uh negative emotions such as attachment anger jealousy ignorance greed selfishness and so on mm. also from hell uh hungry ghost animal kingdom humans asur god so it has so many significance this mantra but ultimately it i feel it expands your mind instead of feeling contracted and living within that small box because everything suddenly seems so small so shrunken when your heart breaks or when you're going through a hardship so it kind of breaks the locks of that small box and lets light in and just expands your mind and then you find the space for forgiveness and to let go it's transformative you cannot explain how it happens why it happens it just happens so it's good to keep repeatedly repeating a mantra that you feel connected to when you're chanting are you supposed to chant out loud or are you supposed to chant either mind? way either way uh when you are by yourself and you know you just feel like you want to chant verbally you can chant it but when you are in, of course in an office or lots of other people around if you start chanting maybe they might get disturbed so you can just make a meditation out of it and you can use your mantra that you are chanting in your mind as the object of your meditation let's say we're uh using breath meditation right which is very simple you just watch your breath stay with your breath be aware in that sense breath is the object if you have a bindu in front of you and you're just looking at the bindu and resting your mind on the bindu the bindu is the object of your mind but when you we can make a meditation out of chanting mantras mentally and make the mental chanting of the mantra the object of your meditation so you can chant it either way you can sing like i did last time 
you know ahamane padme hum you know you can just chant it normally like when you're going from room to room yeah ahamane padme ahamane padme ahamane padme it's fine totally fine you don't have to literally sit down and do that in ladakh and tibet we do it all the time ahamane padme ahamane padme ahamane padme oh yeah yeah a glass of water ahamane padme ahamane padme ahamane padme ahamane padme it just becomes a part of you as soon as you open your mouth a mantra comes out Om dar 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 som 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 dar dar Yeah 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 I'll call you tomorrow Om dar 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 som dar Om dar 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 som you drink a cup of water Om dar 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 som dar it becomes a part of you and by this constant chanting and connecting to Tara at least verbally even if you can't focus on her right now because you're doing a lot of things you connect to her much faster much deeper <laughs> When you're sitting for an Om Mani Padme Hum meditation or Om Tare Tu Tare Tare Swa meditation, what do you have to visualize? Um, depends on the text, depends on the lineage, but usually you visualize either uh, Avalokiteshwar in the case of Om Mani Padme Hum or Tara in the case of Om Tare Tu Tare Tare Swa. It depends. Sometimes you have to visualize on top of your head, facing that way, like human size, but not touching your head, maybe like your foot. sitting on a lotus petal sometimes in front of you and you have to visualize for example the mantra coming out of uh, the mouth uh, of tara or avalokiteshwar and when you're chanting you have a rosary like this i will not take it out because of the microphone yeah. so you would you could have a, a mala like this and you would be chanting at your heart and you would be chanting like this you'll be mm. yeah counting like this and like you are here right now i would visualize the mantra a steady stream of mantra om tare tu tare tu riswa coming out of your mouth and entering my mouth or my heart and see this this helps with the process yeah, i'm kind of hooking it into mm. my heart sometimes into my mouth sometimes from your heart into my you know from your mouth to my heart or it depends on the text i'm going to ask a question that might sound silly Jee. but it's not what is visualization um Wait, I'll, no I'll, no it's I'll an important you, question i'll tell you from where this is coming Gee. when i first began meditating in life and i came across visualization based meditations yeah. i remember it was during a reiki course okay and they told me to visualize something pretty elaborate and my first thought was this is stupid what is imagination even going to do to me hmm. and in that first meditation i cried when you fully submit yourself to the visualization This is a p- very important point in someone's spiritual journey when they understand the power of what visualization can do. Yeah. What is visualization actually? Visualization is um, the means to manifestation. Let me just say it like that. Without visualization, there is no manifestation. It is for the sake of manifestation that you visualize. Basically, you are. constantly um thinking or imagining uh, an enlightened being in your mind and connecting not only physically by sitting in a special posture verbally by chanting a mantra but at the deepest level of yourself which is your mind so you're connecting to a deity at a very deep level that is visualization once you establish your visualization and with enough repetition of the mantra you start to see the manifestation of the deity in yourself how you feel your level of confidence your ability to be compassionate to be forgiving to be patient to be calm 
not to get agitated with simple things. You just start feeling more powerful and you don't know where that power comes from. You just feel it in yourself. So visualization is for the sake of manifestation, if you ask me directly for a direct answer without going around. Okay. You know, you'd given me a scroll Ji. a long time ago, actually. Mm-hmm. It was an Om Mani Padme Hum scroll. You recently, the last time I met you, you gave me an Om Mani Padme Hum Reem. Shri. Shri. Yeah. Shri. H-R-I. Shri. Shri. Um, Shri. 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 <laughs> gotcha. What, what is that word? Uh, Shri actually can mean many different things. But in terms of Om Mani Padme Hum, uh, there are different ways to explain it and different teachers explain it differently. Um, but she kind of wraps the whole experience of Avalokiteshvara, the six syllables. It kind of packages it all. Let's say you have a burger, right? A veg burger, <laughs> right? You have two buns and you have the burger in between, some tomatoes, some vegetables, you know, so on, some cheese. And she is kind of like the packaging yeah that wraps it something like that uh she's not usually uttered all the time uh we chant it once in a while so you just start chant like once in a while you go like yeah she can have so many different meanings mantras can be yeah can mean different uh, according to different uh, teachings, different tantras. Yeah. There are these tantric words that are used in some mantras. Jee. One of which I've discovered is Reem. Which is why I assume that it that was actually the word. What does it mean? I honestly don't know. But, and I'm trying to figure out. Um, there's, a, there's a tantric mantra chant for a Hindu deity called Batuk Bhairav. Uh, the mantra is... Wow, it's not coming to my mind. <laughs> One second. Wow. It came to my mind. Okay. Okay. Om Reem Batukaya Apadu Dharanaya Kuru Kuru Batukaya Reem That word, it feels like an arrow to me. Hmm. And that's what I keep visualizing when I utter that word by itself. And it can sound scary to some people. I believe it's some sort of a call out, like a, like a making a mobile phone call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, to Batok Bhairav Singh, come help. Could be. Or I bless. think as you, I don't know where you got the, that teaching from, that mantra from. And I don't know on which tantra it is based on. But if you follow it and if you feel it is beneficial for you, as you go deeper... Uh, you may not be able to explain the meaning of the mantra, but you will definitely feel it. Yeah, and it mantras sometimes are also very individual experience. Mm. Yeah, when you chant mantras, the experience is never the same for everyone. We realize this when we retreat, because we all have different karmic conditioning. We have we have all committed different acts in our past lives, and never ever the same acts in all of our past lives. So the spiritual journey, as you, you know, progress on it and you chant mantras and do visualizations, the effects of it can also differ. 
can have small deviations from person to person. That's why we say that um, enlightenment is a very personal experience. You cannot really describe it. There's no one way to describe it. So, for example, we can say traffic, traffic lights, red, yellow, and green. That's it. That's kind of universal, right? There's no other blue or orange or pink. That's it. But with spiritualism or with enlightenment or the journey within, there are no words to describe it because it's a very personal experience. And we say in Buddhism that it is like giving candy to someone and asking if the person is mute, giving a candy to a mute person and asking him to describe the taste. He'll go like, mmm, and you know that it's good. But you don't know whether it's a little bit cutta, sour, you know, caramel, mango. You'll say, how is it? How is it? Mmm, right. You know that it's good, but you don't know like what good, how good, which good. How does it taste like exactly? You cannot really tell exactly how it feels like. So like you said, it feels like an arrow is being shot, but you can't fully express it. And to understand the significance of the mantra and the practice you're doing, you have to go deeper and deeper into it. And you will experience it but you may not be able to communicate this to someone. Yeah. That doesn't matter. No. Um, I recently discovered this Hanuman chant called Ji. Bajrang Ban, which is not supposed to be chanted often. You're supposed Ji. to chant it only when you need things. Okay. One of the reasons is because some of the stanzas contain some tantric mantras. Ji. Like sham, 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 sham. And you're not supposed to listen to it regularly. Okay. Um, what is this logic about some words which are not supposed to do regularly. Why, why is the not a factor? Um, see, Tantra can have many different layers and it is a very particular teaching. Tantras are actually instructions. You can just say it like that, yeah? It is an instruction and you really have to follow the specific instruction in it. And usually there is no logical reason behind why you should or should not do certain things. And tantras are very strict instructions. You deviate a little bit, I think you will suffer. <laughs> and if you do it properly, you will prosper. A snake in a bamboo. Mm. Yeah? A little bit of hesitation, you may slip down. But if you have trust in your tantra, in your guru, in your practice, you will go up. But you really must follow it to the letter. It is extremely important. If it says, visualize a stream light coming through your forehead you visualize it from your forehead not from the tip of your nose not from the crown of your head it has to come from your forehead you really have to follow it to the letter it is extremely imperative if the tantra says well while chanting the mantra i don't know like smell an onion yeah oh, something like that you really have to smell the onion or to put like a garlic around your neck you really must put the garlic around your neck or to wear a straw hat you have to wear a straw hat there's no logic and reason behind some of the tantric instructions. This is where spiritual people in power can sometimes slip and fail their tests also. Yeah. In the name of instructions and uh, tantric practices, they can tell people to do things that are actually not a part of the practice in the first place. Yeah. Uh, some teachers, some gurus, you know, who have not fully, completely understood the tantra that they're practicing, or the set of tantras that they're practicing may prescribe something that is too powerful for a novice. Like maybe giving the keys of a Ferrari to a five-year-old child or 10-year-old child. He's not ready to drive such a powerful car. 
maybe he's ready to drive uh, a simple vehicle battery controlled or a bicycle right but when the child reaches maturity 18 19 20 and knows how to drive a car properly then maybe you can give him the keys to a ferrari and something like that so if you give it too soon it can be very harmful which is the same reason god sends people to you only at particular points in yeah time. you can say that yeah so he is the ultimate guru yes you can say that mm. yeah yeah oh that's it palgarin pochi um can i be rude enough to make one last mantra request of you sure no problem because <clears throat> when you did the om mani padme hum mantra um uh, that particular chant of yours i go back to regularly i'll just listen to that part of the podcast it's at the 2 minute mark or something in that episode um i'll i'll leave it to you you know it's your stage to take uh, again just maybe the in, the only thing i'll put into this moment is the intention that it's definitely for me and i am being selfish here a little bit to just be in the presence offer in poetry but it's also for the audiences and it's for everyone who's shown support to the show um for so long and Definitely. we're just putting a ripple into the universe as well well thank you so much <clears throat> for inviting me back again in this show so soon <laughs> <laughs> but like you mentioned at the beginning uh, you don't know why you feel drawn towards tara and since the introduction discovery of this statue that belonged to your father uh, you felt something change in your life different manifestations happening very swiftly very powerfully <clears throat> i think is because maybe you are connected to white tara as we see um and i'm personally my personal god or deity is green tara so maybe that's what connects us spiritually in a way and um yeah i think last time when i did the chant which many people uh, were saying that they made a clip out of it and you know like replaying the same again and again i think it just came very uh, spontaneously i had no intention i didn't even know how the show was going to be what we were going to talk about i just felt spontaneously that i had to say it i felt like maybe tara made me say it for the sake of our listeners and to your viewers and um yeah i'm really you know grateful uh for the experience people felt i'm really i feel very fortunate that through your platform through yourself i'm able to reach spiritually to so many people all over the world and especially in our beautiful country for which i really care about and the least i can do for our beautiful country is something spiritually and one more thing i would like to add is that even though you uh know the meaning of rinpoche the precious one <clears throat> yeah in today's day and age you are a rinpoche also <laughs> with millions of people who follow you who look for you uh look at you for guidance and for you know inspiration and i'm really happy that we are together as brothers yeah sons of tara as you can call it you yeah. know one of my life yeah trying to do something for our beautiful society i will end with the chanting of om mani padme hum take a deep breath calm your mind relax do not think of anything just think of avalokiteshwar you don't have to think about how he looks like how many arms he has 
just think of Avalokiteshwar that he's here with us right now in this room wherever you are and he's blessing us through this mantra <coughs> Thank you. <laughs> As you mentioned earlier, we did a few days of recording in this beautiful studio of yours. And I feel very comfortable in it now because we recorded a lot of uh, guided meditations, chantings for the app that you're actively working on, Level Supermind. And there'll be a lot of chantings, recordings of uh, guided meditation on that also. So, but I'm still happy to be able to do this chant here with you as we did last time. Thank you, Ranveer. Bless you. <laughs> I'm a little speechless, but the gratitude is in our hearts too. So, just want to say thank you. Uh, today was just a conversation for us. Yeah. It wasn't so much a conversation for the podcast. Sir. I know. So, thank you. Um, this was meant to happen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So that was the episode for today. As I said, during the course of this podcast, every time I speak to this man, I'm left with strength. I'm left with additional zeal. That's exactly what I felt at the end of the chat. I'm sure you're feeling a version of that at this point as well. 
that's the magic of palkar in poche it's the honor of my life to be able to bring these stories to the audiences and it's an even bigger honor to collaborate with palkar in poche on level supermind we've linked it down below make sure you go check it out for his buddhist chanting series his buddhist meditation series i know it will impact your life if this episode has appealed to you so definitely go check it out palkar in poche will be back on the ranveer show and please let me know in the comment section about what you thought about this episode lots of love to you guys all i want to say in the end is om mani padme hum